0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. I believe this is our 16th Sunday in lockdown. I miss you all so much. Miss gathering together as we love to do on Sundays. And as you may have seen this week, if you're a member of the church, uh, I wrote to you just to say that throughout July and August, we're going to continue with online services And as we go, we're going to be reviewing what might be possible beyond then. I just want to ask you, please pray for us as leaders that we make wise decisions going forward. Let's be praying for our government, for wisdom for them. them, And let's continue uh, to pray that one way or the other, this virus will go from this nation and from the world. And that we can return to being able to meet together and enjoy community uh, together again. We're going to be continuing our series in Luke Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, so if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now. Um, But before we get to reading out from today's passage, I want to ask you, if you're like me, do you love a good road trip. I love road trips. I love planning uh, a good playlist. I love getting the car snacks in. I love the great conversation with dear friends for hours on the road. I love the fun and the adventure. I love spotting the golden arches of McDonald's on the horizon and thinking let's have a spontaneous McDonald's. I love a road trip and I love road trips particularly when they are for the purpose of mission. I love going to other towns and cities to be able to strengthen other churches, to be able to uh, share with others who don't yet know Jesus about him. And there's nothing quite like a road trip when it's for the sake of mission. And when I was 19 years old, I was asked to lead a coachload of teenagers 150 miles across the country on a missions trip. And I, I knew that I had arrived. I had gone from youth to junior leader, and I was given the responsibility of ensuring that these teenagers arrived at the other side of the country safely. And I had it all planned out. I had the playlist for the coach, I had the coach snacks, I had everyone paired up with a buddy so that we would make sure that no one got left behind. I knew exactly where we were gonna stop uh, for a loo break, and off we set, everyone on the coach, on time, we were doing well. We managed to get to the, the service station for our loo stop, We got back on the coach. I made sure that everyone who had a buddy had said that their buddy was present. So I said to the coach driver, let's go. And I felt really good about myself. I thought, we've done it. We've made it. We're going to get to our destination on time. And I thought, I'm I'm feeling so smug right now. I'm going to have a little nap. And so I put my head down for a little sleep. And then 20 minutes later, I looked at my phone. And I realized I had six missed calls from a fellow team member that we had left behind at the service station. And what's more, this team member was part of the catering team. So for the whole week, I was not given uh, very generous portions. Let's put it that way. Now, today, we're going to be seeing Jesus take his team on a missions trip, and things go a lot worse than that. It's far worse than simply having a team member left behind, as we're going to see. So we're picking up the story today in Luke chapter 8, And verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. We're going to leave it there. So here's the trip. They're going from the western side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, this huge lake. It's very familiar territory for the disciples. A bunch of them, at least four of them, were fishermen. Probably seven of them, seven of the twelve were likely fishermen. They've grown up their whole lives on this side of the lake. They know this area very well. It's very familiar to them. They know the shortcuts. They know all of the, 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 the ins and outs of the terrain. They've fitted in all their lives. No one looks at them strangely there whatsoever. And it's their home. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And this other side, as we find out later in the story, their destination is the region of the Gerasenes. They're going from a nice kind of flat uh, beach kind of area with palm trees across the lake to a place that was rocky, that was full of Greek-speaking foreigners, and to them was just not a place that they wanted to go. For these disciples who had grown up on the western shores they just knew that you just don't go over to the eastern shores. That's not where you would choose to go on an afternoon off. They didn't like the, the sound of this place at all. It was a scary place. It was a place that they didn't want to venture to at all. So the disciples, probably a bit tentative, they agreed to go on this mission trip with Jesus. And if the prospect of the other side wasn't bad enough, it suddenly gets a lot worse. So as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, where is your faith? So they set off on this boat and Jesus decides it's time for an afternoon nap. I love this about Jesus. He's had his lunch, it's hot, he's feeling sleepy and so he decides to lay down for a nap. I can imagine him even fashioning for himself a little cushion to really enjoy a good nap. There's nothing quite like a nap and some of us we find it impossible to stop and rest because we kind of get value in always being busy. We kind of feel like we have to always be in motion. And we cannot stop for a moment Well, Jesus is so secure. He doesn't really care what the other guys think of him. He's so secure in what his father thinks of him. He knows I can have a rest when I need a rest. He knows that when his body's tired, he can lay his head down and have a rest. But a couple of hours later, and this trip goes terribly wrong. A storm arises. And this is a terrible storm. These guys, as I've said, are experienced fishermen. These are the guys you'd want to have with you in a storm. They know how to handle boats when the waters get rough. These guys from the age of four or five would have been on the boat with their dad hauling in fish day after day. They know how to handle storms and yet none of them have ever seen a storm like this before. They suddenly realize they're in deep trouble and they have to turn to Jesus. They know this Jesus, he, he must know what to do. He must be able to think of something but Jesus is asleep and they are indignant and they shout at him, Master, get up, wake up, we're gonna die. In Mark's gospel, in his account of this story, they say to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown. And Jesus, what does he do? He rouses from his sleep, he gets up very calmly, and he simply rebukes the storm. We kind of picture, I think, Jesus being a bit like Gandalf and holding up a staff and kind of wrestling with these raging waters and just gradually pushing it back with some mystical power emanating from him. But no, he simply, and again, we see in Mark's gospel, Jesus just says, shh, be quiet, be still. That's all it takes for Jesus. I just want you to imagine that for a moment. I want you just to take that in just for a moment. This Jesus is asleep in the middle of this raging storm, a storm that is making experienced fishermen wet themselves. And Jesus simply gets up. He says, shh, be still. And suddenly the waters are calm. Suddenly the lake is like glass. This is Jesus. And you can just picture the faces of the disciples as they whisper to each other, who is this guy? He, he, this, this storm had no choice but to be quiet. This storm had no choice but to stop when he just said, shh. They're amazed. They're astounded. He cannot be an ordinary man. We must trust him. Let's read on in the story from verse 26. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them off and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. And Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied. When you hear the word legion, think battalion. Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. So as soon as they got off the boat, they're straight into the battle. I think of scenes from films where soldiers are on a boat and as soon as they reach the beach, they're attacked and an army advances towards them. Well, for Jesus and his disciples, they've got off out of one storm and suddenly they're encountering another storm, a storm that is raging inside this man who's demon-possessed. And this guy comes up to them. He's not just walking up to them peacefully to say hello. He looks crazed. He's got cuts and bruises all over him from where he's broken free from the shackles. He's completely naked. He does not look like a pleasant welcome party. And when we read homeless and naked and living among the tombs, this gives us an impression of what this guy's life was like. He's poor. He's ashamed. Just imagine just walking around naked. How ashamed you would feel. He's poor, he's ashamed, he's lonely, he's completely rejected by society. We don't know how he came to be like this. We don't know any of his backstory, but we now know he's being totally oppressed by evil. We rightly, we see sin as as something that we're all guilty of. That's something that Christians understand. But what we sometimes don't understand is that also sin is something that we're all oppressed by. This man is drowning in the sewage of his own life. He's in need of a rescue that he cannot achieve by himself. He's as desperate as you can possibly be. He's not what he was made to be. He was made to be in a joy-filled relationship with his creator. That's what he was made for. That was what he was made to know and enjoy. And now instead he's captive, he's ashamed, he's without hope, he's completely miserable and now he's even identifying as legion. His, his name, his identity is all wrapped up. It's got so bad that he's got no identity left except that for which he's captive to. And listen, this is the situation for everyone before they encounter Jesus. We may not know demon possession or demon oppression, but everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's what the Bible teaches, captive and oppressed. And Ravi Zacharias, a great uh, teacher of the Bible who passed away recently, said this, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. All sin and all become slaves to sin. And as a result of sin, we're ashamed, we're spiritually poor, we're alienated from a holy God. Just like this guy was living outside amongst the tombs, we're living outside of the family of God. We're living, but we're dead. We're dead in our sins. This guy is all of us before we come to know Jesus. Maybe you're watching today and you can completely identify with this. You can completely identify with this sense of shame. You can completely identify with this sense of hopelessness. And maybe you think if Jesus saw you, if you approached Jesus, he would spit at the ground and turn around and walk away. Maybe you think he'd want nothing to do with you. Well, let me encourage you as we read on. You're going to be very encouraged because far from turning away from this man, he brings incredible transformation to his life. Let's read on in the story. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs so Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, and perfectly sane and they were all afraid and then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon possessed man had been healed i love that once again we see the authority of jesus so clearly in this passage in verse 31 of the uh, of this passage the posse of demons are literally cowering before jesus begging him for mercy and in verse 32 jesus gave the demons permission to enter into the pigs The demonic forces are on a leash. Jesus is in control. They have to bow before him. They're like school children asking a teacher for permission to go to the toilet. This is not a fair fight between equal powers. You need to understand this. This is not some yin-yang battle. Who's going to win? Find out next week. This is not what it's about. Jesus is in complete control. He interrogates them and then he deals with them in an instant. This should hearten you if you are a Christian because Jesus truly is in control of all things and he's very good. And we have an enemy, the devil, who is day and night plotting our downfall, who hates us. He hates us to the very core of who he is. And that might make us feel scared if it were not for the fact that Jesus, the storm silencer, is with us, that he's in us by his Holy Spirit, That he's empowering us by his Holy Spirit. He's the one who the demons cower before. This Jesus will never let the enemy snatch you from his hands. He says in John chapter 10, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish. No one will snatch you out of my hand. No one will snatch you out of my hand, Jesus says. And one day this enemy will be crushed. The destiny of these demons who go into the pigs and get drowned in the sea is the same destiny that the evil one faces. He will be drowned in a lake of fire. He'll be completely destroyed. And if you're not a Christian today and you're watching on and you're intrigued, you need to meet this mighty one, Jesus. You need to know him. He will free you. Jesus has compassion on this man. He has compassion towards him. He's not repelled by this man's desperate situation. He's not repelled by your desperate situation. He's drawn to you with compassion. Yes, he's angry towards sin, but his anger is actually birthed out of compassion and love because he sees what sin is doing to you and he desperately wants to see you freed. He's angry about what sin is doing to your life and he wants to see you freed. And he deals with this man's oppressor and he frees him and we see this beautiful picture of salvation. This man is suddenly freed. He's no longer in bondage. He's clothed and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is a picture of what Jesus does for you when you come to him in faith. He will free you from your slavery to sin. He will rid you of the the chains that bind you. And he will remove from you your shame and he will clothe you. He will clothe you in robes of righteousness, his righteousness. And we throw that phrase around a lot at church and it can become a bit cliche and we can kind of think, oh yeah, I get it, clothed in righteousness. And we don't really let it sink into our hearts it's wonderful news we're talking about being robed in righteousness I want you to think for a moment of shirt swapping at the end of a big football match I want you to imagine you've played a game of football and you're a terrible player I don't even have to imagine that because I am a terrible football player but you've had a terrible game and your side has lost 8-0 and you've been responsible for all of the goals that have gone in And the final whistle comes and the captain of the opposing side has gone to collect his trophy. He scored all of the goals. He's absolutely dominated the match. And then he suddenly comes towards you and he offers to swap shirts with you. And you think, oh great, I'll get to keep his shirt for a little while, that's something. But then you realise it's not yours just to borrow, it's yours to keep. And he suddenly puts the trophy in your hand as well. And suddenly you're treated with the honor of a victor. Suddenly you're treated as if you were the man of the match. Suddenly you're treated as if you had scored all of those goals. And in fact, all you've contributed was a terrible performance. All you've contributed was sloppiness and error. And now you're treated as if you've played the perfect match. The captain of the winning team has given you his shirt. This is what it is to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You've contributed nothing but error and sin And Jesus has taken your place. He took your place on the cross. He wore your shirt. He wore your shirt and you get to wear his shirt of perfection now. That's what it means to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is really good news and you need to take it to heart today. Jesus became sin for us. He took more than a loser's medal. He took punishment and wrath for you. And in exchange, we get to be treated as if we've won the match, if we've lived the perfect life. We get to become the righteousness of Christ, no longer defined by our failure or our oppression or of our sin, just as Legion was. We get to be defined by Jesus, freed by him. We get to sit at his feet. We get to be forgiven by him. Let's see how this story ends, shall we? Luke chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. We're just going to read the final bit of this story. So Jesus so, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for them. Note here this pattern that we've seen already in this story and we've seen it already earlier on in the book of Luke. There's a people who are consumed by fear. First, there's the raging storm and then there's this man with a storm within him, this raging group of demons. And next, relative calm is restored after Jesus speaks a word. But then from that calm grows A seemingly greater fear of Jesus. A great wave of fear we see in verse 37. A great wave of fear swept over the people in that region. This happened to Simon Peter too a few chapters ago. One of Jesus' disciples. He was fishing all night. We don't know why he had to fish all night. Probably in some sort of financial difficulty. The business wasn't going well. And he's fishing all night and he's caught nothing. And suddenly at the command of Jesus when he meets Jesus for the first time. Suddenly, he, he gets the biggest haul of his life. And instead of jumping up to Jesus and hugging him and kissing him, he falls down on his face and says, Lord, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. He's come into contact with holiness and power personified. There's a, a fear there. This is Jesus. He is mighty. He's not to be messed with. If it weren't for his grace towards us, we should be terrified. But the people in this region, they need not have been gripped by fear if they, had, if they had known that Jesus came to save them, that Jesus came to give grace to them. This is the mission of Jesus. He came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to show grace and mercy. He's not remote. He's not disinterested in our suffering. He's angry towards sin, but as I've said already, this anger, anger comes from his compassion and love as he sees what it's done to us. He wants us free. He wants you to be free. And he came on a mission to bring desperate people into the family of God. And now he wants us to be involved in that mission. And that's where I just want to land things today. I just want to look at the fact that he wants us to be involved in that mission. And if you're taking notes, there's three things that I just want to pull out from this concerning mission. And I want to ask us some questions as we go. The first thing I want to say is this. This mission is for all disciples of Jesus. In John chapter 20, as Jesus is commissioning his disciples, he having died on the cross, having risen again, he says to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is a sending for all of us. Jesus is saying to you right now, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This isn't just for a select few. This isn't just for a few that kind of graduate to be able to be missionaries. It's for all of us. And in this mission trip, in the very first verse that we've read together today, we see a picture of what Jesus has done for us And we see a picture of our mission also, just as the disciples on this trip had left their hometown with all the comforts and safety and familiarity to cross over to the other side. So Jesus has left heaven with all of its comfort and familiarity and safety to come to earth, not just for an afternoon on a mission trip, but for over 30 years. And in that time, experiencing suffering and even death on a cross. I wonder if you understand that this is now to be our mission, that we're to leave comfort behind in order to walk into God's mission and to be a part of God's mission to reach people with this good news. I wonder if you know that. Do you know that you're on a mission daily, sent as Jesus is sent to the other side? Are you are you in this reality? Are you living on a mission? I say that not to condemn you, but to provoke you and to ask yourself, am I Am I considering myself part of this mission? Are you in a team or are you a lone fisherman? Jesus sent his disciples out in team and we're to be in team. We're to be doing this with others alongside us. As we're to bring in a great haul of fish, we need others around us in team. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for Jesus' sake? Are you willing to go anywhere he tells you? Are you willing to lay down your plans? Are you willing to lay down your dream home in order to go wherever he might send you? This mission is yours. It's ours. And this mission was also to become the mission of the man who was formerly known as Legion. He, he shouts to Jesus as, as Jesus is getting on the boat with his disciples to go back to the other side. Jesus, I want to come with you. Please let me come with you. And Jesus shouts back to him, no, no. Stay, go and tell your family. Go and tell your family all about me. Jesus knows that this man has credibility with this non-Jewish audience that he would not have. This man needed to go, he needed to be sent. Mission is, is for the newbies. What did this man know? He 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 couldn't quote big chunks of scripture, he couldn't sing worship songs with his eyes closed because he knew all of the words. He couldn't debate theology. All he knew was that he was oppressed by evil and that Jesus had freed him. All he knew was that he was hopeless and Jesus had brought him hope. All he knew was that Jesus had completely turned his life around. That's all he knew. And he sent on mission to tell others about him. Maybe you've found faith in this lockdown period. Maybe you've been watching online services and you've got this kind of brand new faith this mission is for you. Why don't you tell everyone that you know? Why don't you tell everyone you know that you have encountered Jesus, that Jesus has changed you, that he's freed you, that he's healed you, he's forgiven you? Why don't you tell everyone that you know you've been saved not to somehow get an exit from the world, but actually to be sent into the world? Jesus wants his people scattered like salt in every area of society, tasting very different to the world around, pointing people to him. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to gather, yes, gather and be equipped and then go. He wants our our whole life to be this pattern of gathering and going, gathering and going. Our our life doesn't revolve around a Sunday, our whole life is on mission. Mission is, is not sorted people telling other people how to get their life sorted too. It's people who've encountered Jesus who were once a mess and now saying, Jesus has turned me around. I'm still a work in progress, but Jesus, you need to know him. You need to know him. He will save you. You need him. This mission is for all disciples. Secondly, this mission will lead us into the storm sometimes. As we go on mission for him locally and beyond, we are certain to encounter storms. We're going to find ourselves encountering opposition as we carry the gospel to neighbors and friends and to the nations. We will find ourselves perplexed sometimes, asking God, Do you even care about what I'm going through? Do you even care what's happening? Just as as the disciples said to Jesus, Do you even care we're going to drown? Even seasoned Christians who've been around the block a bit, who've maybe encountered some storms, are going to sometimes encounter a storm that's so big that they're going to call out to Jesus, what is going on? Really? Is this, what, is this what's supposed to be happening right now? Just as these fishermen who had they knew rough waters and they're suddenly turning to Jesus and saying, what is going on? And you seasoned warriors out there, as you obey Jesus, you're going to find yourself in moments when you think, what is happening? And Jesus will lovingly say to you, where is your faith? Is it in your own ability to get out of this or is it in me? Are you looking at me the storm silencer. Are you looking to me? I want you to know that if if you're going through a storm right now on account of Jesus, then it doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. It doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's better to be on a boat in a storm doing what Jesus has asked you to do than being on the beach in relative peace, being disobedient to him. Sometimes storms and crises are, are a fruit of following Jesus but take heart. Jesus is mighty. He is the one who's able to calm the storm. He can bring you safely through it. He will bring you through it. You just need to trust him. Fix your eyes on him. Don't let your eyes slip off him for a moment. Fix your eyes on the one who is not panicking. Jesus is not panicking. Sometimes I'm driving with my family and we come into a great storm. Rain is just coming down heavily on the car or hail or even snow. And as a dad, as the one who's driving, I need to try my best not to look worried. I need to do all I can to reassure my family that I've got this, that I, I will get us through this. And so I need to try hard sometimes to ensure that no one thinks I'm panicking. Well, listen, Jesus isn't having to try here. He's not having to put on a show here. He's napping. He's the one singing, I'm going to sleep in the middle of a storm. He is He's not worried. He is not worried. He is able to calm the storm with a word. And part of fixing our eyes on him, having faith in him, is just to, 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 to let our minds soak in who he, who he is, in, in his sovereignty, to read this book and to see Jesus, you're in complete control. I do not need to worry. You are with me. That's my third point. He will be with us on this mission until the very end. I want you just to picture the faces of the disciples as this crazed man starts walking to them as they get off the boat. I want you to just picture them just shuffling in behind Jesus, just letting Jesus go ahead of them. I I can imagine they just felt, Jesus, you've got this. And sometimes we're walking with people who are massive, right? I've got friends who are huge. I'm not particularly strong. I've got friends who are very strong. And when I'm walking with them, I fear nothing because I know if we got into any trouble here, I'm just going to shuffle him behind and I'm just going to let him deal with it. Jesus has got this. What do we have to worry about? We've got the presence of Jesus with us. How much more should we feel assured at the presence of Jesus than we do at the, the presence of a really strong friend? What exactly do we have to worry about if Jesus, the powerful son of the most high God, is on our side? If he can calm a raging storm by saying, shh, if he can cast out a battalion of demons with a rebuke, what problems in our life are beyond his help? I want you to know and be reminded of this truth today from Matthew 28. as Jesus is, It's Matthew's account of Jesus commissioning his disciples. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you until the end of the age. Jesus has given us a clear mission. We're to go. We're to tell everyone about him. We're to baptize people when they place their trust in him. We've got a clear mission. We've got a clear mission as a church. This church is so pregnant with potential, and it might seem like right now, as we're in lockdown and not able to meet, we might think, oh, we're on hold. Our our fruitfulness as a church is on hold. Nothing could be further from the truth. This church has so much potential to reach hundreds, thousands of people in this town and thousands and thousands of people in the nations. I believe that we're going to see massive advance of the kingdom of God through this church in the years to come. I believe we're going to see many hundreds, thousands of people come to faith in Jesus in the years to come. I I believe that we're going to play way more than our fair share of the, the mission that our family of churches is called to, to plant a thousand more churches in the next 30 years. I believe we're going to play our part and some. I really believe that. I believe there's people watching this video who even today are going to know the call to go, who even today are going to know a calling to another city or another nation or another continent. I believe we're going to play our part and some more. I believe God's got big things for us, Hope Church. I really do. Convenience and comfort will have to be sacrificed. We're going to need courage. We're going to need prayer like never before, but we will see the kingdom of Jesus advance in this world. We will see his name made famous in nation after nation, from Nigeria to Brazil, from Canada to Kazakhstan. We're going to see people sent and equipped to go on mission for Jesus, just like this man was, back to his family and to his friends. We're going to see many churches planted. I believe that with all my heart. And we're going to need to pray and we're going to need courage. But more than anything else, we're going to need to fix our eyes, fix our minds through being in the word of God, through being in prayer. We need to fix our eyes and minds on the storm silence of Jesus. We need to see him for who he is. And we need to trust him and obey him. Storms are going to come, but he is with us even in the storms and he's not worried. He's able to nap in the middle of the storm. He's in control. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we, again today, we recognize that you are the storm silencer. You're the only one. You're the one who can speak a word and a raging storm is calmed. You're the one who can speak a word and powerful forces are cowering before you. Lord Jesus, you are in complete control and we just want to surrender to that truth again. We just want to say, Lord Jesus, we're yours. And we want to be on mission for you. We want to be on adventure with you each and every day. And I pray for all who are watching. I pray for my family and and my church family and all those who are joining from beyond our church family who are just looking in. I pray you'd make us bold. You'd make us courageous. You'd make us those who, who trust in you, who look to you. And I pray that we would see an almighty move of God through this church in the years to come. I pray that we would see many people come to know you here in Ipswich, that our new building that we trust and pray will be ready before long, will be brimming with new life. And that in the years to come, more and more will be sent on, on mission for you. And I pray, Father, for anyone watching who... Doesn't yet know you, who maybe feel in this place that the this man Legion was in of oppression and of, of of hopelessness. I pray that right now you would break into lives. I pray that right now people would encounter you for who you are. They would know freedom. They would know the clothing of your righteousness and a freeing of shame, a freedom from guilt and shame. Come and move in power in lives right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've encountered Jesus, we want to hear from you. Please get in touch with us. We would love to hear your story. We'd love to help you in your next steps of following Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.